All right, let's go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 7 tonight. We have arrived at the final message in the Lord's Sermon on the Mount this evening. And uh, I have cleverly just entitled the the message tonight, The Conclusion of the Sermon. Uh, There is nothing... peculiar about this. There's nothing amazing about that title. Uh, It's simply, as they say, it is what it is. It is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And in these final verses, verses 24 through 29, uh, our Lord sums up his words that he has been speaking in this particular sermon into a very practical application. I think it's important to realize and understand that as we look at these final verses, uh, we need to remember the words of James 1.22 that go directly with what the Lord is getting ready to teach here. Uh, James 1.22 tells us, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. And I think this is the important part, deceiving your own selves. Uh, There is a level of deception uh, that creeps into us when we simply become hearers of the word and not hearers and doers of the word. And James uh, so uh, aptly says that there is a deception that occurs if we do that. Uh, We look in these verses in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29, and uh, kind of a synopsis of what we're getting ready to read here. Uh, The Lord shows us here that it is not going to be enough to simply own Christ as our master uh, if there is not, if it's simply just in word. Uh, In other words, we can say that the Lord is our master. We can say uh, that Christ is. Uh, is uh, so important to us. But if we truly have repented, if we truly believe in Christ, if we have truly been redeemed by that glorious sovereign grace, uh, then it is going to result in a life that is marked and evidenced by doing, not just hearing. Uh, That is the Lord's will for us. The will is that we are to not just be hearers, but we are to be doers. Now, this is often referred to as the, uh, the man that built his house upon a rock and the man who built his house upon the sand. Uh, there's actually a children's song that uh, fits this particular passage. It talks about the wise man built his house upon the rock, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And as, as uh, uh, appropriate or inappropriate as that song may or may not be, depending on how it's approached, this is a very serious matter that the Lord is dealing with here. Uh, He's dealing with a very serious matter about the foundations in which we have built our life upon. And it's more than just this life, but an eternal perspective. Uh, Are we built upon the rock of Christ or are we built upon the uh, shifting sands? And there certainly is a lesson here. In verse 24, he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them... Uh, That's an important aspect here. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So we see there are very 
a number of similarities here. We see the reminder of, or the picture here, of those who do the sayings and those who do them not. We see a reference to a wise person. We see a reference to a foolish man. So we see uh, two contrasting pictures here. We see a house built upon a solid foundation, built by the wise man, and we see a house built upon a very weak, sinking foundation, built by the foolish man. But notice that in verse 24, the Lord sets the, the, the direction for where he's going with this. And he is intending for us, as we look at this, to accept these things as authoritative words. He says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. Now remember, this is Jesus himself that is speaking. And he's saying that those who hear these sayings of mine and do with them, he says, that is the people I will liken or I will compare to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. So we see very clearly, he says, that it is the wise man who not only hears the words of Christ, but actually does the words of Christ. Now we today have no problem uh, accepting, I hope we don't have problems accepting Christ's words as authoritative. Um, I don't have to convince you tonight that you should accept the words of the Lord as authoritative. That should be a given in the life of believers. I shouldn't have to sell you on the idea that, you know, you ought to uh, consider uh, taking the word of God as your authority because it should already be the authority in your life. But this is important because when we get when we read those last that last verse those last two verses and we'll talk about this, the people were astonished and they were taken back by the level of authority in which Jesus spoke with. Now you and I, I hope we never grow out of being astonished by the word of God. But their astonishment is completely from a different perspective than what our astonishment certainly is. We understand that the Lord's teachings are also uh, words of judgment. Um, ultimately, even a little bit what we learned on Sunday, is ultimately every man and woman will give an account of their life before the judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. So his words also contain that which is words of judgment. But I think there's a great lesson already here that we can simply say that Jesus is establishing this great fact that hearing is not enough. Just simply hearing the word of God is not enough. Uh, we hear the word of God consistently. We hear the word of God when we come to the church house. We hear the word of God, but that is not enough. And Jesus is setting that guideline by saying, just hearing me isn't enough. And he says, hearing them and doeth them or does them. There is a practical godliness that comes with those who are in Christ. Practical godliness is the godliness that is a result of that which has happened to us inwardly. We have been converted. We have been delivered from this present evil world. We have uh, already, we are already seated in heavenly places. We're already with God in a sense. But the doing hearer is what we'll refer to this man is. The doing hearer, we see, has built a house with a stable, strong, 
and secure foundation. Alliteration intentional there. Strong and secure and stable. That foundation is built by the wise man. He'd be why? Because he built that house upon the rock. Now, in order to build a house with that kind of a foundation, in order to have a house with that level of stability and that level of security, uh, that is a very uh, wise thing to do, but it's also a very expensive thing to do. Now, if we were to build on our own the most secure and stable foundation house we could possibly do, we would pay a lot of money for that. It would be an expensive endeavor. Uh, We would say we want more than just the standard builder grade foundation. I want something above and beyond what's normal. Uh, Just like in some places of the the country where earthquakes are more common or hurricanes are more common, uh, they require a stronger foundation typically than what they do here in Ohio. It's different. But the Lord's main purpose here is not about the blueprints for a house. Remember, he says, I compare the person who hears my word and does them, I compare them to a person who builds a house upon a rock. So the intent of the story is not so much about the house on the rock as it is about the hearing and the doing of the word. Although the Lord uses this illustration to continue to teach Uh, this concluding sermon. Verse 25 teaches us a little bit about trials. It teaches us about trouble that's going to come in the life of a person. Notice it talks about this house and the man who does, hears the word and does it. And it says the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. Now, verse 24 tells us the house was built upon a rock. Verse 25 tells us that the house was founded upon a rock. When we think about even our very life as believers, we think about our life as Christians, we realize uh, that there will be times when our lives will be tested. We will be put to the fire, so to speak. Our lives will be put through uh, that refining fire that the Bible says uh, we will in fact go to. Sometimes those trials come from all different direction. They come from all sides. And uh, just when you think there can't be another, another one comes. The rain comes, the floods come, the winds come. Uh, there is uh, nothing that is restricted from beating upon the house. Now, this house is a substantial structure. It's built on the right foundation. But the tests do come. And because the tests come, those tests and trials and troubles can become so severe that nothing can save the building except for the strong foundation. In other words, the very reason that the house continues to stand was because the foundation was strong, not because the other materials were strong, because even if those other materials had been top grade, if the foundation wasn't right, there still would have been a falling of that house. But notice what it says. It tells us that it fell not. It did not fall. The strength of the foundation, the chief support was immovable. 
And because the support was immovable, the entire structure survived. Now, the reality is that it fell not, but it doesn't mean that it didn't suffer some damage. It doesn't mean that it didn't have a few places where it looked like it had been through the proverbial fire, but it didn't fall. I was thinking today, as I was sitting here reading over this, I was thinking about the many things as a life, in the life of a believer that even as we hear the word of God and we do the word of God and we go through these trials and we go through these afflictions and we go through trouble and sometimes we have, we've all been there, I think, probably by this time in our life, uh, where we come through something and we just feel weather beaten. We just feel like we have been through, I always call it, gone through the ringer. It's like, Lord, I, I don't think I can take another thing. I've, this is all I can stand. But here's what the promise and the glorious truth is. That the foundation that we have in Christ didn't fall. Oh, I, I'll admit, and I think all of you would probably admit, we've been, we've been damaged. <laughs> we've, we've, we've been nicked. Uh, we've been troubled. Uh, we've been tossed about. But the structure of Christ is still standing. Now, why is Jesus connecting these hearing of his word and the saying and doing his word is very, very important. And that's what we're, we're going to get to as we think about this. It's often the song that reminds me often of the house upon the rock, of course, is the hymn Rock of Ages. when it makes us think about Jesus Christ because the rock here is Christ. The foundation that Jesus is trying to uh, tell to the hearers here is that I am the very foundation. I am the immovable foundation that uh, even though uh, you will go through trials, you will go through struggles, uh, the house that's built upon me will never fall. Now again, a person that is in Christ Jesus uh, is more than just a person who's a hearer. It is a person who is a hearer and a doer. It can be said of our faith, although it's tested, it's put through trials, it doesn't fall. Our faith in Christ is founded upon a rock. That rock is certainly Christ. Verse 26, he gives the flip side of the coin. He says, and everyone that heareth these sayings. Now, I want you to notice, he doesn't say they didn't hear it. He said, they heard my sayings. And I think that's very valuable to understand. This wasn't like, a, they hear, it, the, word, the same words to describe the wise men, the wise man who heard the sayings, it's the same words used for the person who doesn't do them. He hears them. And he doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. Hearing was not the problem. I think it's fair to say we've probably all heard a lot of things. Uh, some things are of value and some things are of no value. It's becoming more and more evident that a lot of what we hear during the day may not be of any value at all, but we hear it. And the Lord's not talking about uh, just hearing random things. Remember, he's talking about hearing the authoritative words that he speaks and not only hearing them, but doing them. And so this man that he gives is just a simple hearer of the word. The hearing of the Lord's sayings sets him upon 
this idea. He hears it, but he doesn't do the word. He doesn't do anything. Uh, but hearing of the Lord's saying should set us onto a place where we desire to work for him. Now notice that this man who heard still built a house. That's pretty interesting. They both heard, but it was what they built on that was the difference. I often found that that's interesting because Jesus says, hears and, and does, and then doeth them not. He still built a house. In other words, that foolish man was still building something, and he was still building upon something. The problem is he wasn't building upon the rock. He wasn't building upon Christ. He was building on something that was movable and something that was quickly would sink and would be blown away when the trials and the storms actually came. He built his house, no doubt. He was very practical in the way he built it. He was uh, very careful in the way he built it. And he didn't stop it before he completed it. It says he built the house. It was done. This man, no doubt, is a very, probably a very wise, he's probably a very, a very intelligent man. He's probably very industrious. He's probably a man who says, I'm capable of doing a lot of things. But the problem is, he was foolish. So here's a man who builds a house, builds a house that the Lord says, but he's foolish. There's no doubt he probably built it quickly, but his foundation didn't cost him anything. His foundation was the thing where he cut the corners. He just simply said, I'm just going to build it on the sand. I'll get this thing done quicker and I'll do it and it'll be just the same. But he built his house upon the sand. The sad difference is the Bible actually says that when the rain descended, verse 27, and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. Now you have the exact opposite of what happened to the man's house who was built upon the foundation, which is, is Christ. This man built his house upon the sand. It fell because it was on the sand. That's the very reason why it fell. The reason why the other house stood is because it was built upon Christ. The very reason this house fell is because it was built upon the sand. Now, what is this sand a picture of? Often this sand can be compared to a, a person who hears religious sayings, a person who is uh, convinced that their own good works are the very things that is their stable and secure and strong foundation. And I would also tell you that sometimes we can confuse religious activity uh, with that which is making our house more secure. But notice that the same trials, now this is important, the same trials that came to the man who built his house upon the rock were the same trials that came to the person who built his house upon the sand. If you compare these two verses, the exact same things came upon both of them. Verse 25, the rain descended. Verse 27, the rain descended. Verse 25, the floods came. Verse 27, the floods came. Verse 25, the winds blew. Verse 27, the winds blew. You see the, you see the pattern. The winds blew, beat upon that house. The winds blew and beat, up, beat upon that house. The difference is, and it fell not, and one says it fell. 
Same storms, same trials, same struggles. And yet one stood and one fell. Now, we can look at this and we can say, the Bible does tell us that man is of short days, paraphrase, and is full of trouble. You realize that even though sometimes we forget this, that many of the same afflictions come to the foolish in this world as come to the wise. Uh, We often sometimes make the mistake of saying there are things that the believer goes through and we have our own set of afflictions that the unbeliever never goes to. I would say the exact opposite is true. Many unbelievers go through exactly the same types of trials and struggles that we go through. They have the same types of problems. They're diagnosed with uh, horrible diseases. Believers are diagnosed with horrible diseases. They go through great afflictions, great trials. But the difference is the believer goes through those trials. And as they're going through those trials, their entire faith doesn't fall. It doesn't collapse. As a matter of fact, they're actually strengthened as those fires come. But for the unbeliever, those fires and those afflictions come and often lead to a falling of the very thing in which they built their house upon. Now, afflictions operate in exactly the same way, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. And yet, for the man who built his house upon the sand, his house fell. But the man who built his house upon the rock, it stood. Folks, these are really, it's, it's hard to read this and not think about the kids' song. And it's hard to read this and not think about just kind of watering that down. I get it, but you understand that the Lord's saying something very, he's saying something very solemn here. He's he's saying this because he's taken everything that the Sermon on the Mount has been about, all the sayings, all all the principles, all the precepts, and he's, these are the last words of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, here's the great danger, that you're just simply a hearer. And a hearer is not enough. Just coming to the house of God and hearing the word of God preached is not enough. Just sitting on a Bible study and hearing the words of whoever's teaching that is not enough. The hearer of the word who is in Christ understands that those are authoritative words. And those words, they are things that are done, not just heard. Now again, mere faults, mere afflictions. But the chief weakness was what was underground, the foundation. Christ as the foundation for the believer allows us to endure those afflictions and still remain standing. Now it doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen to us and it doesn't mean, of course, that we'll never die because we know that we're all heading there But our faith doesn't fail. Our foundation doesn't crumble. And yet, notice that it says that as this foolish man, it fell. But there's something added. There's a phrase added there. And great was the fall of it. it. It would have been enough for our Lord to have just said, and it fell. And in my mind, it it conveys, well, that's a very serious thing. But the added phrase, and great was the fall of it, adds an even deeper level 
of soberness to it. Not only was it a fall, but it was a great fall. Uh, Something that is considered a great fall is something that many times it's something that somebody else sees or maybe even primarily somebody else hears. The sound was heard. Great was the fall of it. When something like this falls, it becomes irretrievable. You cannot get it back. Once that house fell, there was no way to actually retrieve that and keep it from falling. It already fell. It's gone. We think about how many times that people hear the authoritative words of word of God, and yet they walk away with nothing but just hearing. There comes a point in time when it becomes irretrievable. There will come a time when that will be the last time a person will hear the word. I don't know the full parameters of how God fully and finally puts it so that a person never believes again, but I do know there are portions of Scripture that tell us that the Lord blinded the eyes of people in order that says they could not believe. Even if they wanted to, they couldn't believe anymore because it had all fallen and now it was too late. It's too late now to retrieve that which has fallen. I would imagine that every person who's ever lost a home in an earthquake or a hurricane actually says when it damages, I wish I would have built a better foundation before it happened, but they can't reverse it. It's irretrievable. So we have here that this fall was great. Whatever was standing there now remains in ruins. Maybe that pile of rubble stood as a memorial. Maybe it becomes a thing where they say this is where something bad happened. And it acts as kind of a a reminder of what took place here. But it also teaches us a lesson about the danger of neglecting what we hear. We've been talking about, in our Hebrew series, of course, about uh, do not neglect so great salvation. Don't neglect your salvation. And neglecting what we hear by not doing is a dangerous place to be. It's easy, even for people who claim to know Christ, to rest in what they hear with no desire to do. Now again, we're not talking about works-based salvation. We're not talking about that this is a result of by your works that you are converting or keeping yourself converted. But what we are talking about is it's the natural result of a person who has built their house upon Christ that they will do and be obedient to what they hear. Now I know part of the part of the modern church movement today is is well We don't believe in that law of God that says we have to do something. The problem is, is the Lord himself says, those who hear my word and are of me actually do my words. They actually not just hear them, they do them. Church is not just about coming and hearing worship music or hearing people sing or hearing the word of God read or hearing the word of God preach, whatever the case is, there is this application process that says you should do them. Now this becomes important because that's what the response of the hearers, some in the crowd begin to be astonished at what they're hearing. 
And I think there's, there's going to be a lesson in that as well. So really, verse 27 is the last words of the Sermon on the Mount. Now think about that for a minute. All that Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount, and what are the last words of the sermon? And great was the fall of it. <laughs> That's the final words. Because the last two verses are the after. They're after the conclusion. They are the response, or it is the response of the people who heard it. His last words are, be a hearer and a doer. And yet the response is a little bit of astonishment is the words used. The sermon is over, verse 28. We're not told anything specifically about what it produced. Now, oftentimes people, when they've preached a sermon or pastors who've preached a sermon often are looking for, what did this sermon produce? What kind of changes did it make in your life? How many people repented and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ? How many people made a vow to get their lives back and give their lives back to the Lord? Now, let me tell you, there, was, there has never been, nor will there ever be a greater preacher than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And yet, the response to his sermon is not what we think it would be. Our immediate thought is, if Jesus Christ preached a sermon, everybody who heard it is going to be under such deep conviction that they're going to all be signing up to do whatever they need to do. But instead of really doing, people are just astonished by what they heard. So we ask ourselves the question, if no preacher has ever preached a greater sermon than this one, how many people were brought to repentance because of the Sermon on the Mount? How many people were actually converted? I realize that the Sermon on the Mount's primary audience, remember, all these months ago when we started this particular portion of Matthew, it was intended primarily for believers already. So there's a warning to people who are already in the believing side. But you realize that this text, we don't hear of any results. It's not even like the sermon that Peter preached when 3,000 people were converted. There's no pomp. There's no circumstance. There's no, there's no rush to make a commitment to God. Does that mean that the message failed? Does that mean that the preacher was flawed? Does it mean that there was a problem with what was said? No. Even divine truth, and I hope we get this, even divine authoritative truth, when it's preached to perfection, will not in and of itself affect the heart to conversion. You realize that, and I've never done this, I've been preaching for a number of years, I've never preached a perfect sermon of perfect divine truth, but even if I did, just the hearing of it alone would not be enough to bring the heart to conversion. Think about it in a sense of repentance. The command to repent and believe. The most overpowering authority, Christ is the overpowering authority, produces no obedience unless the Holy Spirit takes over and subdues the hearer's heart. 
I used to, and I think many preachers would probably say this, we used to preach sermons to try to force people to do something. I was in that whole realm that was all the message was about, okay, here's what I want you to get, and then here's what I want you to do. So the sermon was always about, now, how do I get you to do it? The problem is I can't make anybody do anything. Only the Holy Spirit that arrests our heart and subdues our wicked desire for ourselves can make that kind of a change. No matter how clever my outline is, no matter how clever the preacher is, no matter what an orator he is, it will not do anything unless the spirit changes. But look look what it does say. And it came to pass when Jesus has ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. They were astonished. That was the result. They were astonished. No, they were converted. No, they repented. They were astonished. Was that all? To our inspired text, that looks like that was it. Because when we move into chapter 8, Jesus is coming down off the mountain. (laughs) So people walked away astonished. Verse 29 says, For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Again, just as hearing divine truth does not affect the heart to conversion in and of itself, astonishment at our Lord's doctrine is not conversion. If I hear a wonderful sermon and I congratulate, which I'm using that term very, very loosely. I congratulate the preacher for a great sermon. That's not conversion. If a person says, that's the best message I've ever heard on total depravity, that's not conversion. Just because we're astonished at something and astonished at doctrine does not equal conversion. Now, what were the two things that surprised the people that are mentioned here? First of all, they were surprised at the substance of his teaching, what he was talking about, the doctrine. But the second thing is mentioned here, they were also astonished in his manner. Two different things. Verse 28 says the people were astonished at his doctrine. In other words, what he taught. 29, for he taught them as one having authority. The teacher as authority was his manner. And notice it's, the Bible is clear to make mention of this and not as the scribes, which basically says that Jesus's teaching was so different that it was not like what the scribes teaching was. It was a different manner. They had never heard the doctrine the way it was being given. The precepts which he had given were now new to their thoughts, but their main astonishment was the manner in which he spoke these things. What I believe that the scriptures are talking about here is that they were astonished at the power and the authority that he preached with. It had a weight about it. It was something that they had never seen in their religious instructors. Remember, the Pharisees were professionals. 
The Pharisees and the scribes were professional teachers. They were instructors. And none of them has it ever said about them that they, people were astonished at their doctrine and that they spoke as ones who had authority. Notice our Lord, as he taught these things, he didn't raise questions and he didn't speak with hesitation. He didn't cite society's authorities to prove why he should be listened to. He didn't hide his account of his authority behind the great name of someone else. To speak with authority is to speak the word of God and to not have to use another source of authority to make it real. Now, this is maybe a side note, but oftentimes, instead of just giving the word of God as it is, we often think that we need to give an illustration from the world to make it relatable. Now, illustrations can be good, but they can also become a real danger because people walk away remembering the illustration, but not remembering the truth. Oh, I heard this great illustration a preacher gave about this story about, but why did he give you that story? See, Jesus' illustration about the house on the rock and then the sand was given not just to make the emphasis the illustration, but rather that the people would hear and see the authority in which he was speaking. The truth itself is the authority. Christ as a king has the authority. Notice it says he taught them as one having authority. The truth being proclaimed is its own authority and the demonstration of truth. Jesus taught as one who had been given the words from above. When you see this phrase that he taught them as one having authority and people are astonished at his doctrine, this is a direct reference to they, those people felt as if he was speaking like one who was sent by God. It was not of any fault of their own that they were astonished, but the problem was they were only astonished and nothing more. They never responded. R.C. Sproul said this, he said, only the word of God has the kind of authority that can bind the consciences of men forever. You and I cannot bind the conscience of another person. I, 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 cannot, I cannot hold them up and, 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 and make them respond. I can't, I can't change the heart but I can speak the authoritative word of God. And that's what, that's what Bible teaching is. That's what Bible preaching is. It's the authoritative word of God. You, you did not come here tonight or listen tonight hoping to hear a good story. You, you came because not only do I want to hear the word of God, but I want to respond to what the word of God is telling me to do. That's the hunger and thirst for God's word. I know a lot of people that are hungry and thirsty for the celebrity preacher, but they are not hungry and thirsty to do what the Word of God says. They're lining up to listen to the celebrity preacher. It bothers me. They put out an advertisement that says, come and hear so-and-so. I'm not coming to hear him. I'm coming to hear the authoritative Word of God. And if God uses that man, then so be it. 
But be careful of making a celebrity and making him a speaker because every person who stands up and preaches the word of God is preaching with the same authority because they're preaching truth. Some just may do it in a little bit different of a way. So what do we take heed of? Take heed of understanding that hearing is not enough. All of our good works that we think is enough is nothing great, nothing better than the sand in which the foolish man built his house upon. We deceive ourselves if we think that we are entitled to all the privileges of the things of God if all we are is hearers. Every one of us that names the name of Christ as our foundation and as our Savior, there should be a great desire in all of us to depart from all sin. We should have a desire to depart from it. We should have a desire to live a life that is different, to live a life that is holy. There are people whose entire religion and their entire eternity is resting upon nothing more than hearing. I went to church and I heard. Jesus is undoing that whole thought and said, if your religion is based upon nothing but hearing, your foundation is like sand. It has nothing to stand upon. Their heads are simply filled with an empty idea that this is enough. These two hearers represent two builders. The parable teaches us to hear and do the sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some may be very hard to our flesh. It may be very hard to our life, but they are to be done. Christ is the foundation and everything besides Christ is sand. Think about how many religions there are in the world that are built on sand. The only true foundation is built upon Christ. Some people have built their hopes and their dreams upon what this world has to offer. Some are only banking on their outward profession of religion, and some, sadly, are banking on the fact I hear the word, I read the word, but they don't do it. What's the point of the storm coming? I think the storm has a couple of meanings. First of all, I think the storm represents to us that it is a trial of every man's work. In other words, the storm represents one day our foundation is going to be tested. It's going to be put to the fire. Only those that are built upon Christ are going to stand. Anything else, it will fall and great will be the fall of it. The house fell in the storm when the builder needed it the most. Think about that for a moment. The house fell when the builder of that house on the sand needed it the most. You know what it means? It means that the person that built their house upon the sand actually truly thinks that when the storm comes, my house is going to stand. They truly believe that my foundation is secure, but it's on sand. But you and I that are in Christ can take comfort by knowing today that if our lives are built and our eternity is built upon Christ, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Many, many people probably walked away from the Lord's sermon 
astonished at his wisdom, astonished at his power, astonished at his doctrine, astonished at his manner in which he spoke. And yet when the sermon was over, they simply heard, went home, and walked away. This sermon, like so many, we ought to read over and over and over again. Every time you read the Sermon on the Mount, I can, I can attest this to be true, there's always something I didn't see the first time around. I've preached at a Sermon on the Mount twice that I'm aware of, straight through. I've done it twice. This is the finish of the second time. And the perspective of what, I, what you see now is so much different than what I saw the first time around. Not because the word changed, but because my very own life and perspective has changed. I would say there's many times when my hopes were built upon just simply being a hearer. And yet we're told we are to be hearers and doers. Every word proves that its author is God. So we ought to be decided and earnest in saying, I don't want to just be a hearer of the word. I want to be a hearer and a doer. And that is the conclusion of the sermon. Let's finish tonight. We're going to finish with the hymn we've been learning on page 392. Today thy mercy calls us. We'll sing that. We've got a pretty good handle on this song, I think. We're going to sing that tonight, and then we're going to introduce this to the church, uh, the rest of the church, on Sunday morning. So let's go ahead and turn to 392, and uh, we'll sing that as our closing hymn tonight.